On Education is sponsored by Participate, a community learning platform where the world learns together. Later in the episode, we'll hear about one of Participate's communities, Teach the Global Goals, and how you can get involved in its free community learning opportunities with educators around the world. If someone comes to your house and knocks on the door and calls you an a-hole, are you going to say, oh my God, hey, come on in. Like, let's have dinner. Right. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. Our guest needs very little introduction to many in our audience. He's the founder and president of DBC Publishing and the author of Teach Like a Pirate. Welcome to the podcast, Dave Burgess. Hey, thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm happy to be with you guys. We've been wanting to do this for well over a year. Um, sure. and, and we're approaching <laughs> 200 episodes now. So we, uh, we're, we're thrilled that you um, were able to, to join us. So Dave, it's been nine years since Teach Like a Pirate came out. And that's a that's a lot of time and uh, you know a lot of things a lot of things have happened man um, I mean it's been it's been like a decade the last 18 months um, you know as you reflect on the book and its content and the last nine years um, do you think your message has changed especially you know you're gonna go back out there and and do keynotes again probably within the next year maybe even sooner and and you know do you think anything has changed in, in in the nine years since Teach Like a Pirate came out? Yeah, so I do think there have been some changes, but I do think that there's some parts of the core message that are st still essential. Because if you think about the core message, it has to do with uh, one, passion and becoming a more passionate educator. It has to do with creativity, how to be more creative as an educator and how to uh, brainstorm and come up with ideas. And those things are evergreen topics. And then the third real big topic of the book is engagement. And engagement is not going to go anywhere either, right? So, right. you know, it doesn't matter what you say if nobody's listening. <laughs> and so uh, engagement is going to be a key thing. Uh, one of the criticisms, I think, of the book, which is very fair, is that it's um, maybe a very teacher-centric book. And that's so true. It's about engagement strategies and things that the teacher can do to draw people in and pull them in almost magically or magnetically to what you're doing in the classroom. But of course, again, I wanted it to be authentically written about what something I was good at, and that's something that I'm good at. But that doesn't mean that that's all that there is in education. Of course, we need more project-based learning. Of course, we need more student-centered, student-led instruction and all those kind of things like that. And so I never set out to write the encyclopedia of teaching. Some people, I, I bristle when people say, how come there's not this? in the book hey this isn't the encyclopedia teaching this is this is a my story and yeah. so i think that's one of the reasons why the publishing company came about because i knew that my story wasn't the only story and so i was trying to find other people who were good at other parts of the uh teaching game the education game and and lift their voices as well let's continue with that topic about the dbc publishing um i imagine that the types of books you published at the beginning of this journey and the books you are publishing now or looking to publish even in the future has changed. How has your process changed throughout these years? And do you seek, Dave, educator and, and or administrator feedback on what, they, what they're seeking as far as educational books? Yeah, so we always keep our ear to the ground and try to listen and see what people are interested in. And I think one of the big changes in DBC is that, well, a couple. First of all, um, initially, 
I was publishing people that I was running across out on the circuit and that were uh, maybe approaching us and, and that I was, you know, somehow connected to. And then eventually it kind of transformed itself. And then it became a situation where now our inbox is flooded every week with manuscripts. And it's more a process of, of, of trying to be very intentional, realizing that we can't do them all. And like, which ones are we going to do? And like some of the projects that we haven't done that have gone on to publish other places, people will ask me questions about like, oh, like, so that's the, that, that book you didn't want. It's like, no, I love that person. I love that book. I love that. I love their message. We just can't do them all. Like we literally can't do all the, but we don't want to have big buildings and all that kind of stuff. We don't, we're trying to find that perfect spot to not scale too big. But I think one of the, as far as acquisition of projects now, I think we're doing a better job at not just taking the stuff that comes to us and not the stuff that like maybe I might run across on the circuit, but saying like, hey, we have a real gap in this area and we need to go out and find someone to address that subject, which is not a part of our line yet. Okay. And so, for example, um, uh, books on um, equity and uh, social justice and things like this. I think there was a, I think there was a gap in our line for a long time in that area. And so we've tried to actively go out and find people to fill that gap and to make sure that we're bringing projects, you know, like choosing to see a framework for equity in the math classroom recently came out and okay to say they about tips for allies of uh, transgender and non-binary students and things like this. So we're trying to uh, be more inclusive with our publishing and realizing that, hey, we can't just say, well, we didn't get any projects pitched to us on that topic. If we think it's an important topic, we need to go out and find someone who's, who's, who's talking about it. Dave, do you, I'm sure you run into this. Uh, I transitioned from a full-time Spanish teacher for 20 years, and then now my new role is an instructional coach. And many of us that do that are teachers who are fired up about teaching. Uh, we love professional development. We love to learn. We're super passionate about uh, just improving our practice. But many of us that have entered into this field, as far as thing, and, and we had some people on our team uh, help us out with these questions, and, and a few of us are instructional coaches, kind of pitched into this question, do you have any advice when working with teachers who are reluctant or they're just skeptical? Let's say about what you propose, for example, in your book, but or just in professional development in general. Um, and so, what do you tell those teachers that say, you know, they don't have the time, the energy? There's all of this other things that need to be done. You know, there's standardized testing, et cetera, whatever it might be. What, what, do, how do we, where do we go to be able to engage those teachers in this conversation, at least, to be able to go ahead and grow in the profession? Yeah, that's a great question. So I'll, I'll kind of tackle it from a couple different standpoints. First of all, I think that one of the things that we can do is to be more willing to go to teachers and say, what is it that you're trying to do? What is it that you want to do? What is it that you're trying to do with kids? And then when we find out what they're in, what they're trying to accomplish, then maybe we can figure out how what we what we have can help them, right? And so now as we're coming to them to the standpoint of like we're offering assistance, we're not saying, hey, what you're doing is wrong. Try this new and better way. We're saying, hey, how can I help you? What are you trying to do? And then they say, well, I, I'm trying to get kids to be you know more involved with their project, but whatever it might be. And we can say, ah. Now I have an in. Now I have a way. If I can help this teacher solve that problem through my stuff, then I've kind of like I've, I've opened the door. I've, I've greased the way for me to get my message in. Right. So I think that's one way to look at it. Uh, the other thing is um, when a big 
buzzword in education, innovation, like risk-taking and things like this, right? And so though it's really easy to talk about those words, but we don't really know if you support innovation and risk-taking until we see what happens when somebody fails. Yeah, <laughs> It's easy to say that you love risk-taking when, when you're talking about something like rock star teacher on your staff, right? What, what about risk-taking when the person falls flat on their face? How do you feel about that, right? And the class blows up. And so now, do you come in in an evaluative and judgmental fashion, or do you come in in a way that is as a resource and that celebrates the risk, that celebrates the courage that that educator had to try something new? And if you come in and say like, "Oh my God, I know that didn't work out, but like I'm so proud of you because like that took some that took some courage, right? That took like you know you really stepped out on the edge right there, and maybe you fell off this time, but like you know what, uh, you know maybe next time, and you offer some possible resources and ways that you can assist them. Well, if you come in that way as a, some person that celebrates risk taking and celebrates courage and offers yourself as a resource moving forward, you will see more innovation and risk taking in your system. You come in and evaluative and judge judgmental and kind of calling people on the carpet for their mistakes, you'll see less innovation and risk taking in your system, no matter what you say when you stand at the podium. It's what, it's what actually happens when things go wrong. That that's, mm. really, uh, that's what really determines it. Now, that's two ways to look at this. Here's a third way, though, that is maybe, uh, sometimes people think this is confrontational. I don't think it's confrontational at all. And um, I, I use the snowball analogy. And if you're trying to change like the culture of a school to buy into something, right? And it's like if you went out into the snow and tried to grab it all up, it tried to make a giant snowball and grab it all up in your arms at one time, what would happen? It would crumble away and you'd wind up with nothing. That's not the way you build a snowball. The way you build a snowball is you eat a little bit in your hands and you shape and you mold it and you pack it tight. And then when that gets shaped and molded, you add a little bit more and then a little bit more and you mold that. And eventually it gets big enough where you can put it on the ground and you can start to roll it and it starts to snow, starts to stick. And if you could get on a hill, even you could roll it down the hill and you could, that's the only way you build a giant snowball. Okay. And by the way, I feel bad because I'm telling you two how to make a giant snowball. I live in San Diego, right? <laughs> I was okay. going to say, I, you beat me to it, man, yeah. if you were tired. It was like guy from SoCal telling us how to yeah. make a snowball. All That's the way from San though. Diego, let me talk to you two about how to build a snowball. <laughs> yeah, All right. right. Yeah. So anyway, that, but, but honestly, that's really the only way you build a snowball, right? That, it, you, and this, that's the only way you change the culture of a school too. You can't grab everybody up at all at once. You can't announce change from the podium. You can't expect everybody to buy in, right? If you wait for everybody to be ready before you move, you're never going anywhere, right? And too many people allow their energy to be dissipated by the apathy or negativity on their campus, and they don't do what they could do with the people who are ready to go. So you get a little bit of people in your hands, the people that do want to be a part of something new, do want to be a part of something creative, do want to be a part of something innovative, and you work with them and you shape and you mold that group. And then the energy and enthusiasm that radiates out from that group starts to attract other people in. People say, hey, like, I keep hearing you guys talking about this like pirate thing or whatever it might be that you're trying to roll out and say like, what, what is that? Kids seem to be excited to be in your class. And then you say, oh, you bring them into the fold, you know, and you bring them in, bring them in. Eventually it gets big enough where you can set it down in your system and you can roll it out and people will start to stick. But it always starts with that small little group. So don't be so concerned with those that won't when you have a group that will and they're ready to go with you. Go with them, right? And so that's why like, when people will contact me sometimes, and I love this, they'll say, hey, um, I got a little group of people reading your book at my school. Like, I was wondering if you want to meet with us. But, you know, you probably won't because, I mean, just to be honest with you, there's like five of us and we meet after school in the lounge. And I'll say, are you kidding me? 
of course I'm going to meet with you. Like, what's, let's set it up because that's the way it, that's the way it always starts. You're the start of the snowball. You're the little thing that you're like that every single place where Chicago Pirate has taken off. It started with a little group like that. Switching gears for a few questions. And so Dave, every once in a while, uh, people like to take a shot at you. Uh, Twitter's where it seems to be the most visible. Um, personally, I think some of it, some of it is simply because you're well, a well-known figure. You get up there and you have a ton of passion. Your energy is infectious. Um, and I, I definitely think some of it is straight up jealousy. Um, and I think there are two kind of fascinating education subcultures at play here. Uh, one is kind of the outrage culture where everything is turned up to a hundred. Uh, you shouldn't be a teacher if you believe a certain thing or disagree with people. You know, I, I, I always tell I was unfollowed by someone uh, earlier um, last summer, I guess, uh, on Twitter because I told them that I thought putting stickers on your face wasn't an engagement strategy. And she, you know, turned it up to 100 on me. And it was like I was a, all of a sudden I was a bad teacher. So there's that. Then there's this tendency to go in the entirely opposite direction where conflict and disagreement is harmful and debate is undesired and aggressively dismissed even. Um, you know, the irony obviously is that both of these usually end in almost the same place. So I'm curious how you feel when someone takes a shot at you because um, it, it happens and how do you tend to respond when I, I'm sure, and you've actually mentioned it already, when I'm sure the criticism is respectful and warrants at least some sort of response. Yeah. And so this is a tough, uh, this is a tough thing to navigate because first of yeah. all, oh, I, I mean, I absolutely have people that, who intensely hate me. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, and, and are vocal about it. And so here's the first thing. Anybody who tells you that that doesn't bother them hasn't had it happen to them. You know, and so when people say like, oh, I don't care, like I don't pay any, I don't pay any attention to the haters. Like that doesn't like, I, that never bothers me. Trust me. If you have been attacked on social media and uh, it's kind of like been a dog pile before um, and you say that that hasn't bothered you, I, I, I don't, I don't believe it's happened to you. Um, it does happen to you. And I think a lot of these people who do that kind of, they, 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 they have a, a sense of loss of the humanity of the other person that's on the other side mm -hmm. of it. And like, um, it's funny because some of the people who attack me, they think that like I'm some huge corporate figure of like this, like, I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm running my business from my kitchen table. <laughs> you know, like they're like acting like I am uh, ruining education from this big, like huge, like, like a, this monster, monstrous thing. It's like, are you, like, you're kidding me, right? Like I'm literally like I'm running a Twitter chat from my kitchen table and I'm doing like my uh, Google Hangouts with potential authors, like in my backyard with like dogs running around me everywhere and stuff like this. And, you know, so like they think I'm some big corporate entity. Um, but I always ask myself, is this person really interested in helping me and in helping move the message forward? And um, or are they just kind of are they basically just in that outrage mode and they want to shame you? And they want to produce and they want to take you down. Right. And so is someone trying to move me forward or is someone trying to take me down? And I think when they're trying to take me down, I, I ignore it. Right. If someone's trying to move me forward, maybe I'll have a conversation with them. Usually I have it off of social media because, uh, you know, as soon as you respond to hate in social media, what happens 
is then all of a sudden four other people jump in and then eight people jump in on those four and then 16 people jump on those and then everything you say is quote tweeted and screenshotted and next thing you know you're not even talking about the same thing that you were to begin with you're talking about you know uh maybe you were inarticulate in a in a tweet response to someone or responded uh, emotionally to something and it got taken out of context and next thing that screenshotted all over the internet and it never goes well and so i don't give oxygen to that and so one of the best ways to start to to stop a fire is to starve it of oxygen and so when people say how come you won't respond to us well i won't respond to you because you're not treating me in a respectful manner <laughs> that's why i won't respond to you and like if you think that if I treated you disrespectfully, that you would respond back to me. Like uh, it's just not—it's just not the case. If someone comes to your house and knocks on the door and calls you an a-hole, are you going to say, "Oh my God, hey, come on in. Like let's have dinner." Right. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like there's no way, right? Or if someone comes to if someone comes to your house with muddy shoes on and says, "Like, hey, do you mind if I run all through your house?" And then I'm going to knock on I'm not them in the house. And people say, like, how come you're not more welcoming to uh, people who hate you in your Twitter chats? Like, oh, yeah. Like, how come you don't let people stomp mud all over your house? You know? And so, like, I'm not uh, – Scott and Scott – and these every time I've tried to respond to some of these people um, that are the ones that want to shame and take down, uh, it's never it, – it never goes anywhere. There's never anything that comes out of it. They're not yeah. interested – they're really – I'm, I'm – being honest here because I've tried. They are not interested in what I have to say. They're not interested in me changing. They're interested in shaming, right? And so uh, I've gotten better at discerning the difference between those two groups. And if it's that person that's just interested in taking you down, uh, Scott Stratton has a quote that I love. He says, don't try to win over your haters. You're not the jackass whisperer. And some of these people are jackasses. Yeah, it's true. I had a different question, but I'll follow up with this. You must be, I mean, I, I, I could think of you, Dave, and maybe George Kuros as probably the first people that I can, that I can put on this, I'm not going to say a pedestal, but basically I could put on the, on the edu celebrity status, let's call it quote unquote, as, as something to happen. Is this what happens to us though? You know, you were, you're, you're an educator, right? Yeah. who then had this passion and, and and you put it into a book. And I'm sure that when you wrote this book, Dave, you you didn't imagine that it would be what it turned into, which is, I mean, my next question was basically about kind of publishing a lot of books. I mean, and, and really becoming a brand, even that, you know. Is this what, I, I mean, is so and a lot of people have seen you and George take these paths and other people too. I'm just, I just, I'm thinking off the top of my head as far as you, you two, um, and want to do the same things. Is this just a, a the nature of a celebrity of being, you know, being seen as a celebrity and then being, cause you got turned from a teacher into Pearson basically. Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean the same kind of hate that goes to, yeah. to, Textbook well, the, publishing companies is coming to you, or maybe even worse. The edu celebrity thing cracks the the anti edu celebrity thing cracks me up because what is an edu celebrity to someone? An edu celebrity is someone who's got a lot of Twitter followers who people who people talk about all the time. That's what they say. Like we, I'm not, I don't label myself an edu celebrity, but okay. if I tweet and a lot of people like it and so they follow me and I have a message that resonates with people and people and I and uh, and I share that message and it attracts followers that yeah, people act like that's an evil thing. So it's like, wait a mm -hmm. second. 
So like your tweets that aren't getting that that aren't uh, getting the same amount of interaction, um, you're somehow a pure educator because you don't have followers, mm. and like I'm somehow an evil ed- educator because I have followers and people are, mm. are are like are responding to the message and resonating with the message. That doesn't make any sense to me. Like I was a cl- mm. when I wrote Teach Like a Pirate, I was a classroom teacher. You know, some of the that's the other thing that cracks me. People say like, well, you don't understand like the. But yeah, what, what do you mean? I wrote the book when I was in the classroom, full-time teacher, when I wrote Teach Like a Pirate, right? I taught, and then, you know, somebody who was taught for six years will be will be cracking on me or something like, hey, I taught for 17 years before I ended up leaving the, the classroom, right? Like, teach 17 years and then tell me that I'm not, like, a, a dedicated educator, <laughs> okay? And so, and, the, and this whole right. idea, listen. Some people think it's selfish or egotistical to be tweeting your message and trying to like uh, uh, get people to follow you and all that kind of stuff like this. All right, let me tell you this. I'm going to tell you an over the top story because I'm an over the top person, right? Okay. And like this is probably gonna, <laughs> this, this podcast is probably going to uh, <laughs> get me in all kinds of trouble already. But let's just go for this. All right. Okay. Here we go. Listen, if you know CPR and you're at a par- crowded party and somebody on the other side of the party falls over, and would it be egotistical or selfish to make it known really clearly that you know CPR can help that person. If you pushed your way through the crowd to get over to them, would people think you were being a bully? Even if you knock someone down on the way to get them fast enough to say them, would people go like, oh my God, look at them trying to be the center of attention of the party. Always trying to be the life of the party, right? Okay. Or when you got there and you had what they needed to help save their life, would they treat you as a hero? Okay. And so that, that you know that if you know CPR, you better do everything in your everything possible to get yourself over there to assist that person, right? Okay. Well, the same thing is true in education. If you have a message that you think is powerful, that you think will help other educators, that you think will help students in classrooms, and you don't do everything in your power. To, to, to spread that message because of some issue you have with feeling egotistical or selfish or not wanting social media hate or something like that. That's an issue that you have, right? That student's still over on over there that needs your help, that needs your message. That teacher still needs your message. It's not just okay for you to share your message. You have a moral imperative to share your message. And not only do you have a moral imperative to share your message, you have the moral imperative to do everything you can to get good at sharing your messages because the better you are at sharing your message, the more more hands that will get into the more people that will be helped. So I ask when I see somebody who's getting trolled for being uh, self-promotional on Twitter, I say, hey, do I believe that this person believes in their message and that it will help other people? If the answer to that is yes, I do think that they believe in their message and they do think it's going to help other people. I don't have any problems with it being with yeah. them being self-promotional because they're doing what they need to do to get that message to more people's hands, which they think is going to have an impact. And that's something that we work with our authors very intently on. We say, listen, don't try to sell your book. Try to spread your message. Build a community around your message. Be an authentic member of that community, right? Be a prolific share within that community. And then the wonderful thing about the universe is if you are a community builder, if you are a prolific sharer, if you are a connector of people, that community will turn around and support you. There's a great spirit of reciprocity in the universe, okay? If you're a community builder, a sharer, and a connector, those communities turn around and support you too. And so the when, when, when people... Uh, see a quote edu celebrity, what you're looking at is someone who has a message that's resonating and who is great at building community and connecting with other educators. And the idea mm-hmm. that that's a bad thing uh, definitely, I think, is, is rooted in jealousy. It is like a spider web. These diverse interconnected spaces help 
and inspire us to understand, empathize, and take local action in our schools. That's Yahaira Guedes, a facilitator within the Teach the Global Goals community on Participate. The community is home to hundreds of resources, courses, and educators around the world, collaborating on how to bring the United Nations 17 Sustainable Development Goals into the classroom. With our students, and as a collective to be a powerful force to achieve the vision of a more peaceful, healthy, and equitable world. We'll hear more later in the episode from another community facilitator on why you should get involved. So Dave, let's address another critique that has to do with educational publishing companies. Basically, the critique that there are too many educational books being pushed out that are saturating the the market and too many of them with maybe the same basic messages. How do you address those types of things? Because obviously you guys, you, you started with just publishing your book and then now you are one of the main publishing companies for educational authors. Um, 20 or 30 a year or so. Yeah, right, about, about 150 books we published or so. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. Wow. So the saturation, how do you address that as far as a critique or or is there is is it valid? Yeah, feel free to reject the yeah, premise exactly. of the question yes, entirely. Exactly. It's, yes. it's, I, we've, I, just, I actually, we've seen it. Yeah, I actually do reject the premise entirely in this yeah. way. And they're like, um, who is to tell a, a teacher they can't write a book? Right. Exactly. Like who is like it's their it's their message, it's their story. And if they want to write a book, like why why is why is somebody on Twitter gatekeeping who can write a book and who can't write a book? And that's one of the things that I think that we did, which I'm proud of, is that there was this sense that you had to be somebody, you know, you had to have some name in order to have a book. You had to have already achieved some sort of status in order to write a book. And what we said is like, no, you know what? That's not true. We're going to find practitioners. That's what we're famous for. We take actually practice. So when, when teachers, when I hear a teacher criticizing us, like, well, are you kidding me? That's what we, we're lifting teachers. We're lifting principals that are in their school buildings as the principals still and letting them write a book about leadership. We're talking, yeah. we're taking that math teacher who is teaching math right now and lifting them to write a book and share their message and their story. So lifting the voices of practitioners is something that we're proud of. We'll continue to do it. We'll do it over and over again and not apologize for it. And the idea that somebody else can gatekeep who can have a book and who can't have a book makes no sense for it. If you don't want that person's book, don't buy it, but don't say they can't write it. That's ridiculous. Um, and so don't say that they can't share. There's something that about them that they're not, they're not so-called chosen to be able to share their story. Like why, why can't they share their story? And then if, if, if it resonates and people like it, it will sell. And if it doesn't, it won't sell. And that's, the, I mean, the marketplace will be the ultimate, uh, uh, decision maker in that. Right. And so, yeah, I reject the entire premise of that. And by the way, I'll just go, uh, I'll, I'll tell you an, another, uh, criticism of our books that I absolutely love when I hear it. People that? will say, people will say, you know what? Um, this isn't, uh, uh, it's, this is too personal. You know, it sounds like it's kind of too conversational and there's too many anecdotes and stories in this book. And, and uh, it doesn't sound like a typical education book. And we just laugh and laugh and laugh because it's like, yeah, you know what? That's why people are reading them. 
And uh, our books don't sound like a doctoral dis- dissertation and they don't sound like a textbook. They sound yeah. like another human being who's really fired up about what they do is sharing it with you. And what we've discovered is that's what people want. That's what people are reading. And so you can write a book. Uh, I, I've had this argument with someone before and, and it went basically like this. They turn in basically their doctoral dissertation. And I'm going to tell you right now that this person is brilliant. I think they're brilliant. I think their work is brilliant. I think their ideas are brilliant. And so, and we eventually, we did not do the project and they were very upset about that. And we had kind of a little argument about it afterwards. And basically I got confrontational at the end because they were being so confrontational. And this is what I said. I said, listen, hey, listen, like you are brilliant. Your work is brilliant. You're going to have to make a decision. At some point you're going to have to decide, are you writing this book to try to sound smart? Or are you writing this book to change the world? Because if you're writing the book to sound smart, you did it. And, and you can publish it and it's going to sit on a shelf somewhere, right? But if you're writing this book to change the world, you have to write it so that people will read it and people will implement it and people will use it. And so there's lots of these fancy books that sit on shelves. And then you look at our books and they're dog-eared. They got tabs in them. They're highlighted. And you look on Twitter and people are using the stuff with kids in their classrooms. That's the book I want. I don't want the, the book that sounds all smart, but nobody's using it. I want the book where I put I turn on Twitter and I see actual lessons with kids that are being that the stuff is being implemented and used. And so when people criticize our books for being like pop education books or something like that, like we just laugh and laugh and say like, yeah, our books are being read, they're being used, and you sit on a shelf. So you always have something going on. So there's always there's always a new book. There's always something going on. So tell us what's next. What's exciting? What what's got you fired up? Um, you know, what are you working on? Yeah, so I'm fired up about a couple things right now. Um, people are saying like, "Wait, it sounds like you're fired up about pretty much everything you just talked about." <laughs> <laughs> All right, no, but I'm really fired up about a couple things right now. So one is that, uh, hey, I'm jumping into your to your all space. I started a podcast. I have the Dave Burgess Show podcast. And the hashtag is Dave Burgess Show. And um, I'm only about 11 episodes in, I think, but I'm excited about it. It's fun. And just the last episode I did was uh, my youngest child is Finn Burgess, who is transgender. And it's all about uh, Finn's journey in discovering um, himself and our journey as a family with that and how to find community in the LGBTQ plus space and the importance of community in that space. And so check out my episode with Finn. And then also we just launched DBC University. Um, and I'm sure this will annoy the heck out of those haters, right? So DBC University, which is that we're jumping into the uh, online course space. And so we start, we're starting with two courses, one from Adam Peterson, who wrote Teach, Play, Learn, about incorporating play in the classroom, especially early primary. And we have Jill Seiler, uh, superintendent from Texas, who uh, has a class called Increase Your Impact about kind of going to the next level in your career and what you need to do to move to the next level in your educational career. And so those are the first two to kick us off. So we are jumping into the online course space for the first time with two courses live right now. Brad, we just had Jill on the podcast. Just yes, I was going to say. Like yes. A few it, weeks ago. So she's, she, awesome. she's amazing. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Author right. of Thrive Through the Five. She is incredible. And um, her book's incredible. Her course is incredible. And uh, the work she does is incredible in Texas. You know, a really good example is someone who is really, really, really smart, but also wrote books that are really approachable, like like mm-hmm. that you can use. Right. That's a classic example of what you were talking about. Right. Yeah. So it's not that like the I mean, I think all the authors are smart. It's just that 
how, how are you writing? Are you writing in a way that connects with the reader that, that exactly. makes it feel like you're having a conversation? Like they, like you read the book and you feel like that author is talking to you and it's resonating with you as opposed to, are you having to wade your way through um, 47 parenthetical references to research studies in like the first <laughs> chapter, you know, I mean, some of these books, the, I'm telling you the first chapter, a lot of these education books, the sole purpose is for them to justify their existence through links to research, right? And it's not that our books don't aren't based on solid research. I just don't think that you have to parenthetically reference it every other sentence, and it drags down the reader. And so uh, we, so that's why we like that more first person feel to the books. Dave, if our audience isn't already connected to you, how can they connect with you online, and where can they go to learn more about DBC Publishing and any websites you want to go ahead and and promote here? Absolutely. So the company is DaveBurgessConsulting.com. So DaveBurgessConsulting.com. There's a link to the online courses, to the DBC University on there, our book page, all of our books, um, speakers and all that kind of stuff. Um, I am at Burgess Dave on Twitter. So my name just flipped around to Burgess Dave. And remember that if you tweet to me, I'm a human being. I, there's like a, there, I'm actually a person with feelings and emotions that gets upset, gets hurt by things. And I'm not like a corporation. Um, and like, I actually like, uh, have dinner and I have children and, um, a family yeah. and, yeah. <laughs> and dogs. <laughs> yeah. So sometimes, but sometimes you'll forget that. All right. And on Instagram, I'm DBC underscore INC. So DBC underscore INC on Instagram and the Dave Burgess show is the podcast. Dave Burgess, thanks so much for joining us, man. This was great. Hey, it's a pleasure to be on the show. And um, now hopefully I won't receive a whole lot of hate for it. This is Ava Gay Blackford, another facilitator within the Teach SDGs community. I believe that education is the most powerful force to encourage human rights and dignity to wipe out poverty and strengthen sustainability to build a better future for all. I think others should join this community because it creates a support network for members and serves as a global gathering place for teachers to share stories and support one another as we all figure out what learning looks like during the current global pandemic. To access hundreds of resources about the global goals and to connect with almost 1,000 educators around the world, join the free Teach the Global Goals community. Visit go.participate.com slash global goals to get started. Thanks for listening to On Education. My name is Glenn Irvin. My co-host is Mike Washburn. On Education is part of the On Podcast Media Network. You can listen to this show and many others by great educators like Monica Burns, Mike Matera, Tisha Richmond, and many more by visiting onpodcastmedia.com. Want to get in touch with us? Check out our website, oneducationpodcast.com. You can tweet us at oneducationpod. Mike is at Mr. Washburn on Twitter, and I can be found on Twitter at Irv Spanish. You can find us on Facebook by visiting facebook.com slash oneducationpod. We're also on Instagram at oneducationpod. If you're enjoying the show and think others would too, we would be thrilled if you shared it with them. Please leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. When you leave a rating, it gives our rankings a boost. This helps others discover the show. We want to thank our presenting sponsor, Participate, for supporting us. Check out Participate.com to learn more about them. Thanks as always for listening. Stay awesome and see you soon.